All right, here's the second feature of the modern self. This is a word I'm borrowing from Charles Taylor, and it's going to require a little bit of definition. Um, the modern self is a buffered self, a buffered self. Think about a buffer as like a, um, you know, like your personal space, right? Um, a, a, a radius around you that nothing gets through. Um, Charles Taylor says, in the modern world, people think of themselves uh, with a kind of buffer around them. And here's the contrast he makes. He says, in the ancient world, in more traditional cultures, the self was a porous self. Um, think about when you read the New Testament, how fluidly the New Testament authors seem to talk about things like demonic oppression and evil spirits. And how you read that and you just go, that, that just seems kind of out of step with where our culture is. Like I don't hear a lot of people around me talk about how they experienced an oppressive spirit. But that's because in our view of thinking and in the way we think about the self, my selfhood has a buffer around it and nothing else can really impinge on it. Whereas Charles Taylor says in, in other cultures, the self is very porous. I can very easily be influenced by other beings, whether they're supernatural beings or human beings. The modern self is insulated and isolated. We are, this is another way of talking about what we would call individualism, right? I am me before I am in relationship with you or anyone else. There's a boundary around my sense of self. There are two key factors here. This plays out in two significant ways. Um, this maps onto how we think about community and how we think about autonomy. I think this idea of the buffered self is more helpful to me than just talking about individualism because I think individualism, okay, we all get that we're kind of an individualistic culture. But what Charles Taylor is saying is if you think about the self as having a boundary or a buffer around it, it's a helpful way to make sense of this. So what a buffered self creates is um, there's no authority outside of me. I am the authority over myself, my decisions, my body, my interactions, my choices, I am the authority. So this is where our sense of autonomy comes from. Also, my relationships all start with me, and then I choose to move toward people that I want to move toward. So I don't start as an individual in community. I start as an individual, and then I decide whether I want to be in community or not. We tend to think of community and relationships as something we choose and enter into instead of as simply the fabric of our existence. Um, in, in this modern view of the self where we are buffered individuals, there's a tendency to think of every one of our bonds as freely chosen. I choose where I want to go to school. I choose where I want to go to church. I choose where I want to shop. I choose the gym I want to work out at. I choose my friends. Um, I choose... Uh, who cleans my house or who babysits my kids. Every bond I have, every relationship I have is something I have freely chosen. And in fact, there's a strong movement in our culture that any unchosen bonds are illegitimate. That basically what, what it means to truly be free and autonomous as a human being is 
I'm not subject to any relationships that I haven't chosen to put myself in subjection to. Um, Let me quote Jonathan Grant again. He, He observes this. Rather than seeing the self as necessarily connected to other people, so that we can become our full selves only within relationships. Selfism views each person as an autonomous being and often locates the source of our problems in formative relationships with our parents and siblings. Within this model, true freedom involves becoming self-sufficient and freeing ourselves from the control and dysfunction of other people. Now, do some of you need to free yourselves from the control and dysfunction of other people? Yes, that's a real thing, right? But what he's saying is almost the only way we think about the dysfunction in our lives right now has to do with, hey, you know what's created dysfunction? It's your family of origin. It's your weird relationship with your mom. It's that relationship from your past that you haven't resolved yet. You need to do the work in that relationship and resolve that. That will solve all your dysfunction, and then you'll be a healthy, functioning human person. Rarely do you have a counselor that will tell you, hey, can we look at your relationship with you? Like, let's talk about maybe what's wrong inside you that might have created some of that dysfunction in those relationships. Right. Um, so when, when the self is buffered, when our understanding of personhood is you can become who you are, you are an authority to yourself and you choose all your relationships and the relationships you choose um, don't actually make you or create you. They're just a place where the already existing you chooses to engage. You can see how this creates some challenges, right? Um, For those of you who are part of Sacred City, I noticed on the wall on the way in, right, your mission statement, the only way to make disciples is what? In community and on mission. But all the people coming into your church are imagining that community is something they get to choose. And they will decide which communities they want to be a part of and whether they want to be a part of this community and to what extent they want to engage in the discipleship that this community offers. Right? They're not coming in with a sense of self that says, oh, of course, because how could I possibly exist apart from relationship? They're coming in as an individual saying, here's what I'd like to choose to participate in. And that's true for every one of us, too. It's not just those people out there who are coming in. This is how we think about life, too. Right? So, same question. Turn in your groups and talk for three or four minutes. What are some of the implications of this view of the self for Christian discipleship? Where does this create challenges for us as we seek to be disciples and make disciples? Three or four minutes, and then we'll talk together. All right, let's talk about it together for a few minutes. Have you guys ever played bubble soccer? Or is that just a thing I do with my kids? Where there's like this huge inflatable bubble that you get in and you try to roll around and bump into other people? That's sort of what this makes me think of. Is like that's that's what community looks like in a world of buffered selves. It's like we're all engaging with each other, but not in a way that actually makes us vulnerable to each other, just in a way that we sort of bump up against each other. Um, all right, so as you talked about it, what are some of the implications of this for discipleship? Where does this create challenges for us? And raise your hand when you're talking, because sometimes with your mask on, I can't tell whose mouth is moving, so it'll just help me to be able to look at you when you're talking. Yeah. Okay, good. 
your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and there's really nothing that we sort of all agree upon. That's good. What else? Yeah, I don't actually need you to, everything you say to me or would say to me is an option for me to consider. It's not something I need. Um, So even the way I engage with preaching or with discipleship or with any kind of people speaking into my life is sort of like, I'll choose what I take of that and what I don't. Certainly a challenge for discipleship. Yeah. Uh, How could I be, yeah, how could I be united with anything? I'm... I'm me. Yes. Good, yes. Any community I engage with, I'm always engaging with kind of one foot out the door if it doesn't work or if it it doesn't connect with me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, vulnerability experiences some challenges because, yeah, if, I, if you're not going to stick around, if I'm not sure that you're actually here for the long term, I'm not going to share a ton of deep stuff with you because you might just bail. And for all I know, you'll put it on social media after I tell you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Hey, oh my gosh, that is endemic, right? Like, hey, church is a place for me to perform in the ways that I think I'm competent. And so if you won't let me be on the worship team, why would I go to church here? Because I'm amazing and you should let me be on the worship team, right? Like, there's no sense of like, oh, the community gets to speak into what the needs are, what my gifts are, where I might serve the best. It's just, it's about me getting to do the thing that I want to do, right? And think about how that affects Everything in your church, from worship to children's ministry to small groups, everybody wants to do the thing that they're gifted at. And we even play into that sometimes in really unhelpful ways because there is a thing called spiritual gifts. And we do want people to know kind of what God has made them to do. But also, no one has the gift of nursery ministry. It's just we need help with nursery. So sign up and help, right? Um, But, man, if I'm a buffered self, then I'll decide. doesn't really sound like my thing. I'm probably not going to do that. Um, Hey, think about this. Think about how many times you've been in community with people who there's a whole part of their life you just didn't know existed because, because it's, it's in the buffer. We were teasing a guy on our team. Um, this guy's been on our team for like a year. And like three weeks ago at a staff meeting, he was like, um, he mentioned this thing about like, uh, oh, yeah, I have this half-sister who's 10 years older than me. And we were all like... What are you talking about? You have a half-sister? We didn't even know you had a sister. I knew you had a brother. He's like, oh, yeah. And he, like, started narrating this whole portion of his story that none of us ever knew. And I don't think it was because he was intentionally hiding it. It was just because we hadn't, we hadn't pressed up against that part of his life yet. Like, and, and there was, so there, there, there was no dis- intent to deceive or keep something in the dark. It was just we don't share things about our lives unless somebody asks or unless there's a reason to bring that into the conversation. Why? Because we're buffered selves, right? We don't imagine that everything about us is part of what might be shaping or helpful to all the people around us. We just sort of bring whatever things it seems like are needed in the moment or whatever might be helpful in the moment. And that's part of how this shapes community, right? So there's a sense in which very, it's very difficult for us to be our full selves and for us to get the full self of someone else. 
We're kind of always just getting pieces of each other because of the nature of the buffered self. Let's ask the same question then. Is there anything the scriptures would affirm about this view of the self? Good. The scriptures do say, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of all life, right? Proverbs 4. And certainly anyone who's ever been in like an enmeshed relationship would say like, oh yeah, there actually is a spiritual need for us to know where we end and where someone else begins. Right? So the idea of a defined self in distinction from others is actually foundational to a Christian worldview and to the Scripture's way of looking at the world. So, so there's truth in this. What would the Scriptures critique, though, about this view of the self? Yes. Good. Um, think about this truth of our existence, right? Um, you literally exist because of relationship. Like you came into being because two human beings were intimately vulnerable with each other. So actually, there's no way you could exist in the world apart from the existence of meaningful communion of selves, right? And, and likewise, if we believe in Trinitarian reality, if we believe that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that the heart of all reality in the universe is relationship, then the scriptures critique the idea that any one of, of us exists apart from relationship or only with relationships that we choose. Rather, the, the matrix of our entire existence is relational, whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. Um, so you, you and I are relational beings and we are hardwired for communion with God and with one another and that just is part of the reality of the universe. So part of what we're calling people to who, who are coming to us as buffered selves is we're calling them back into a relational reality that actually is the fabric of reality. And it might be better to say rather than that we are a buffered self that we're seeking to buffer ourselves in ways that are incommensurate with reality. Like I actually can't shut myself off from relationship because I'm not meant to. If Romans 11 is true, if Acts 17 is true, if it's true that in him we live and move and have our being, if it's true that Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power, then it's certainly true that union with Christ goes to something almost metaphysical in my existence, right? That I'm, the breath I'm drawing is somehow breath that is drawn out of communion with God. I'm being sustained in my very existence by the existence of a relational being in the universe for whom I am made to, or with whom I'm made to have relationship. So the scriptures would critique the idea that there is a way to buffer myself where all of my bonds are merely chosen. 